Let me invite you all to please rise as we read the word of God. It's a wonderful Sunday morning. Praise God. I'd like to invite you to turn with me in the word of God to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As you're finding that, we surely are delighted that God has given us the opportunity to gather on this precious Sunday morning, you have braved the cold and you have come. May God bless you. Amen. Um, this has been a very, very cold season, as you know. We've been warned. <laughs> and uh, some of the days are very, very chilly. Uh, but the Lord is, is keeping us. Amen. Praise God. We will um, read the word of God. And um, I'll proceed to uh, pray. And soon after that, I'll have just uh, one or two things to mention. Then we'll proceed with, uh, with the word um, that God has given us for today. In Second Corinthians chapter 5, we begin at verse number 11. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. In the Bible, that includes women. It's all. We try to persuade men generally, okay? We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God. And I hope that it is also plain to your consciences or to your conscience. Since we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, everybody say from now on. So from now on, he says, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer, no longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, through Christ, excuse me, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore ambassadors, Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Lord had blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to gather together. We ask that you will bless the ministry of your word. Lift up your people. Meet every need. So that those who are hearing your word today will have their faith activated in a fashion where, Lord, your word becomes true because your word says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We pray, dear Lord, that you will turn back the tide, any kind of negative tide in the lives of your people. In Jesus' holy name, so that you receive honor, praise, and glory. So, we return thanks to you for your mercies, which are new every morning. Thank you for the opportunity to sit under your word and to hear from on high. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. You may kindly be seated. Praise God. As um, we prepare to um, share the word, let me just uh, take time to bring greetings um, on behalf of uh, the Malamas. I've been in touch with them, and I know that many of you would like some uh, updates. Um, Dr. Malama is doing uh, very well. Very, very well. Doing very well. And um, I've spoken with him. And um, they're encouraged that the church is praying. And uh, that the Lord has helped to just turn things around. Hallelujah. And so we are very grateful. And I did uh, promise him that we will bring that update as we continue. Amen. Praise God. And any others that may not be well, please do remember them in prayer. Trust that the Lord will preserve them and bring healing. We turn to the Word of God. We're in part number four today um, of our message on repentance and forgiveness in the church, a biblical guide towards restoration. And 
the Lord willing, I will wrap up unless something unusual happens and I sense that we, we leave any small portion. In part number three, we observe that as we had that unique focus on David's deep desire for cleansing and purging, which was in verse number seven to nine of uh, Psalm 51, we established that David earnestly requested God to purge him from inside. And he said he wanted to be purged with his soap. He wanted to be made clean, to be washed, so as to be whiter than snow. We indicated that to purge in this context meant the removal or the purification by removing a stain. And we all understand the nature of stains. You have to have a strong substance, such as bleach, which we're very familiar with, in order to um, make good. And we talked about the fact that that um, term, cleanse me with hyssop, literally in the Hebrew rendering there meant unseen me. Change me from the seen uh, disposition to something other. It's like with our gadgets today, deleting something or undoing something, that, an action that you've just done and you want to cancel it. That, that's, that's the spirit of what was being presented there. And we did highlight that hyssop was a plant, very, very common plant in those days. Uh, they would take the leaves, dip them in, uh, in blood, and they would sprinkle that, 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 uh, that blood over the individual that was seeking uh, cleansing. And we went to Re Le Leviticus chapter 14 and showed um, that uh, uh, example. And for cases where it had to do with a disease, such as uh, leprosy, which was very common at that time, and it was a contagious one, they would do this kind of uh, ritual, spiritual ritual in this sense, and sprinkle the individual seven times. And somehow the Lord would do his work. And the big picture was that it was a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus Christ. And we read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 uh, onwards. The application clearly that today the blood of Jesus cleanses us completely. And so we said restoration is therefore made possible because Jesus cleanses us completely. Therefore, we were able to establish a threefold result. First, God's assurance of forgiveness brings inner healing, meaning it is therapy. It is therapeutic. It, it, it um, takes care of um, that ailment deep inside and grants us healing. Psalm 51, verses 10 to 11. And there was uh, the song that was sung by the choir here, creating me a clean heart. So God cleanses us. Secondly, the discipline is restorative. We're talking about church discipline. In the actions that we take when somebody has erred, and we're discussing and teaching this in context so we can understand how to respond in the future because we know very well by our track record that we haven't done as well and we've lost ground. But that's behind us and we must continue to gain for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and his agenda. Psalm 51, verse number 12. And um, the psalmist was able to say also in Psalm 51, verse 13 to 19, recovering 
bringing us to the third point, that is restoration is forward-looking. And in both of those, the indication was that once the healing has taken place, he said, then will I teach transgressors your ways. So restoration is forward-looking. And our response, we said, um, had to be that of responsible interdependence. And we read Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, and uh, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to that which is good, and uh, that we must be devoted to one another within brotherly love. And um, so we explained that there is a double usage of um, one simple phrase, one another, which is from the Greek alelon. And alelon means one another, each other, mutually or reciprocally. That those acts that are taken in those fashions. Now, that is to indicate the fact that in order for us to fulfill what God has intended here, there's got to be a responsible um, interdependence. And we had asked the question, what is this forgiveness for? We're going to be carrying on with that question today. God forgives us because there is a plan. There's something ahead of us. And we need to be able to be responsibly uh, interdependent. None of us is independent of the other. And it is as we increase the dependence on one another, which is what God's design is for the church, that there is a richness of that family atmosphere. There's a richness of that unity, a richness of the ideals that God has ordained. And we talked about how um, the alelon uh, clause or alelon phrase, that, word, that one word in Greek, but a phrase in English because it comes as one another, appearing more than a hundred times, a hundred times in 94 New Testament verses, speaking about unity and speaking about uh, humility and an attitude of humility and deference in the lives of believers, where you prefer one another. So we, we concluded with a caution from a number of passages where the one another phrase is found. Do not lie to one another. Colossians 3, 9. Stop passing judgment on one another. Romans 14, 13. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. Galatians 5, 15. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Galatians 5.26. Do not slander one another. James 4.11. Don't grumble against each other. So some very strong admonitions there. And that's how we concluded our study. This is for the help of those who may not have been here as we move on now into the segment for today. Today we carry on, again, looking at repentance and forgiveness in the church, a biblical guide towards restoration. But... We'd like to enter this segment today with a question that actually helps us to continue to reflect on the importance of this act of forgiveness that's been done by the Lord, granting us an opportunity for repentance. What is the main purpose for repentance and forgiveness? I want us to reflect for the next few moments on God's great act of forgiveness. You see, we've taken forgiveness for granted. So much for granted. And that is why it's been so hard for believers, and not just for believers, even for other people out there, to forgive one another. We sometimes hold grudges 
and we are bitter against people, bitter against a former husband, generally let's say a former spouse. Bitter against a family member. If a funeral is taking place near their home, or something is happening where the family is supposed to get together. If you hear that so-and-so within the family is there, I'm not going there. You, you conveniently suggest you'll be out of town and you do create a trip. To avoid meeting that person that you've held something against for a long time. And we do that in life. And somehow manage to cope and live around thinking it is okay. That is because we have not understood God's forgiveness. Because if we've understood God's forgiveness for our lives, we cannot afford to hold a grudge or to be bitter against someone. We will be running to deal with matters so that we can live in peace, in responsible interdependence, because that's what God has ordained. And in our nation, in our societies, this is something we need to handle. We know very well, when we look at our politics, that people have grudges and, and they've, they've, they've fought over the years and they're enemies perpetually. And as the elections come closer, their enmity grows. And in some nations, this results, these kinds of things result in so many other people buying into that hatred and war, civil war results and all kinds of clashes and Violence issues develop because people are unable to forgive one another. It's a very serious thing. And that's because the world has never understood the power of forgiveness. And what God achieved by extending that forgiveness to humanity. A reflection on this and the significance of God's act of forgiveness, therefore, is necessary. I want us to visualize the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Saying to the world, Father, forgive them. Luke 23, 34. For they do not know what they are doing. Why did God forgive us in the first place? That's the question we had begun to ask previously. So we're going a little further with it. My understanding, this is my uh, own interpretation is that we are forgiven to forgive one another. We are forgiven to forgive one another. And to let the world know God can forgive them too. That's my interpretation. Why did God forgive us? We are forgiven to forgive one another and to let the world know God can forgive them too. Hallelujah. Now, if we can carry that deliberately and powerfully, we will have a more peaceful arrangement in our society. Look at it this way. Forgiveness takes place instantaneously. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, 
if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from 20 cases of unrighteousness. From 500 cases of unrighteousness. What does it say? From all unrighteousness. This is how powerful it is. That becomes the essence of justification. Justification is a huge subject on its own. Where God allows us to experience his power of redemption and we are declared righteous. On the instant, we repent of our sins and on that instance, we are declared righteous. So Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, being, having, be, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody has said, the simple way of explaining justification is you and I standing in the presence of God after we've just repented, and it's just as if you had never sinned. Hallelujah. That's the status. Now, if that is what we have benefited, why do we want to hold other people so much at ransom? Especially if they're in the wrong. That's when we feel very justified that we must be angry because they're in the wrong. Well, suppose we turn the tables and God decides that he must hold that wrong that we have committed against him. Where would we be? We're coming to that. So, I want us to observe today that forgiveness is actually a repositioning affair. When God forgives us, he actually repositions us. And that is why I want us to look at this very differently today. You must recall Romans 3 verse 10 onwards. There is no one righteous, no, not one. No one that does not do wrong. Yet we who are said not to be righteous are also in this case declared righteous. It means it places you and I as believers on an eternal assignment. Did you catch that? Forgiveness means you and I have been placed on an eternal assignment. The forgiven state suggests that. Let's read on verse 11. Let's read on into verse 11. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. Verse 12. All have turned away. They have altogether become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. And when you go on, this verse becomes even strong. This passage becomes even stronger. It describes how vile we have all become. Then in verse 23, it goes on to say, in fact, just look at that. Their throats are open graves. That's us. 
Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. So when we know that God has forgiven this vileness, this level of unrighteousness, like I said in two weeks back, uh, two weeks back in our teaching, we will then be more gracious with one another. But we are ruthless because we do not think much about what God has actually done for us. Ah, may God help us. May God help us. So the forgiveness that we experience must generate reverence for God. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably for, with reverence and awe. Okay, now you cousins of mine know I'm coming after you now, not our way. With reverence and awe. Not our way. Not with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Hallelujah. Our God is a consuming fire. So, reverence. A sense of reverence and fear. So, with that in mind, we get into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. He's talked about reverence. So, verse 11 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 opens up by saying, Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we are positioned here in a sense of reverence. We know what it is to fear the Lord. With that in mind, we don't live in pride and a sense of not worrying and caring about someone out there, but we live with a sense of fear, holy fear and reverence, understanding who we are. Because it says that which we should be, who we are, that is, is plain to God. And he says, I hope that it's also plain to you. So in this case, he's wanting us to catch that understanding of what the plain matter is. The plain matter is that you and I are forgiven. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been cleansed. Forgiveness is a potent act from God. It repositions us in the world. Where there was hostility, there must be the breaking of that wall of hostility and peace must be the result. A few weeks ago, we read from James. We do all these wars and, uh, and quarrels and so on come from. And we noticed from the book of James, chapter 4, that those things come from the battles that go on within. And then we take those battles and we take them out there. And we fight, tribe against tribe. And uh, man against woman, woman against man, brother against brother, brother against sister. All these things that we do with the atrocities that are before us in this world are because we have looked down on and treated lightly and taken for granted God's gracious act of forgiveness. So may God help us today. Is this making sense to someone? Lift up one hand and shout hallelujah.
were positioned for three uh, quick lessons. Let me highlight them. Lesson number one from the passage that we read. It's a very substantial passage, but I'll have summarized it into three lessons. Lesson number one, the power of God's voice. What we have in verses 11 to 15 is God speaking through the apostle Paul, trying to reposition the people to let them understand that God's voice is strong to help them understand they have been forgiven. He says what we are is plain. Who we are, who we are, who we are. I must correct myself there, not what we are, but who we are. That's what the Bible says. Who we are, who are we? The forgiven. Hallelujah. We are the forgiven lot. Meaning our actions must be different. Our words must be different. Our thoughts must be different. The things we do out there must be different. We are the forgiven. Repositioned. And repositioned with a mission. In the Gospels, Jesus verbally pronounced forgiveness. Matthew 9, verse 2. Just then, some men brought him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw his faith, he said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Matthew 9, 5. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk because of their reaction. Mark chapter 2, in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Mark 2, 9. Which is easier to say, to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take up your mat and walk. Luke 5, verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Luke 5, 22. Which is easier to say, you are, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. This is Jesus. Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Therefore I tell you, because of her many sins, uh, her many sins have been forgiven, she has loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Essentially, Jesus is saying, those who are not who taken forgiveness for granted and they think nothing much has been done will not act as much as she has done. This was that woman who poured oil on his feet and, and Jesus was indicating the fact that she had been forgiven much. The people talked because they knew her ways. She was, in their view, a very big sinner. And she was, her ways were, were polluted. She was very, very uh, badly rated in that society because she was known as a sinner. But she, before the Lord, as uh, she humbled herself and worshipped him, her sins were forgiven. Their view was different from God's view of who she was. In the Message Bible, in John 8, verse 3 to 11, uh, let me focus on 6 and 8, 6 to 8 and 9 to 10. Jesus bent down. That's the woman caught in adultery. We've been referring to this story in the past few weeks. Wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, The sinless one among you go first. Throw the stone. Bending down again. He wrote some dirt, some more in the dirt. And I did mention that it's been uh, theorized that maybe 
He was now listing their sins, and they each were seeing their sins there. Hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest. <laughs> I find that very interesting. Beginning with the oldest. Yeah, the oldest one left first. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, master, she said. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. From now on, do not sin or don't sin. Or go home. I like the King James. Go home and sin no more. So, the position of the forgiven is that we must go out there and bring peace because sin does not become our habit at that point. We are living a new life. Hallelujah. So God's voice over our lives is that we are forgiven. That's the power of his voice. When that voice speaks, you are repositioned in life. And I'm saying to us, church, let us act as repositioned people. We cannot afford to have within the church this whole sense of bitterness and, and cattails and this one liking that one, this one not liking the other, this one gossiping. Hey, that's not church. Church is a place of the forgiven. And when you're forgiven, you draw towards one another. When you're forgiven, you run towards one another. When you're forgiven, you bear with one another's burdens. When you're forgiven, you allow love to flow. And that is why Romans 12 says love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to that which is good. That's the church of Jesus Christ. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is the church of Jesus Christ. So the power of God's voice. You are forgiven. And this is what he places as who we are. Secondly, moving on from verses, into verses 16 to 19. So we've covered Verses 11 to 15, showing that God's love here, his voice compels us to understand that he died for all. And therefore those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. From verse 16, something very insightful there. The Bible says in verse 16, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Here, I'd like to talk about the power of transformation. These are the things that forgiveness has achieved for us. And that is why our daily posture, whenever there is anything happening, must be that of humility, humble repentance, and giving ourselves to God. Four things appear very, very directly as a result of this transformation. In verse 16, he says... From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So what do we have there? A new way of looking at people. Hallelujah. A new way of looking at people. The norm in life is people judge one another. If they don't know you, put you at a distance. But as a believer, you don't have to depend on whether you know somebody or not. Anybody you meet must feel when they come in contact with you, must feel that they exist, they must feel important. Because as a believer, people are people. There are souls that God has created. When they come in your vicinity, they must feel important. Elsewhere, they've been rejected. When they come in contact with you, they must know that they are alive because you are radiating the power 
power of God. A new way of looking at people. I've told you of testimonies. I get calls from people who don't necessarily come to our church. Some of them are not believers. When they need help, I get calls. I don't say, ah, no, you don't come to our church. Oh, no, you're not a believer. No, we respond. We help. And it's not everybody that we help that we insist, now you must come to not meet assembly. Or now you must be born again. Not at all. When people request help, we offer the help. And in some cases, after offering that help, they will call back and say, Bishop, when are your services? And I just give the information. And some of those have come. They appear. Over time, some have received Christ as Lord and Savior. The important thing is that first, they were considered just as person. And that's important. Let's make a difference. Hallelujah. A new way of understanding Christ. Verse 16b. He says, we used to look at Christ this way. But we shouldn't. A new way of understanding Christ. The third thing, a new way of life. Verse 17. If anybody is in Christ... He is a new creature. All things have passed away. All has become new. This is the new life we live. Fourthly, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So the power of transformation is that it has achieved these things for us. New way of looking at people. New way of understanding Christ is our Savior. He's not just a swear word, not just somebody whose word message we speak. But he's our Savior. New way of life, completely transformed. Ministry of reconciliation. I want to go to the last item. The third lesson here is the ministry of reconciliation. So something has been placed into our hands. The Bible says we are Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We are Christ ambassadors. Over the past few weeks, I've been doing an exercise of looking back at the cross, trying to visualize Christ on the cross. Christ on the cross. Been doing that often. And as I visualize Christ on the cross, the sense of, of humility and gratitude for what Christ has done becomes very real. And sometimes as believers, we lose track of what God has done because we're not visualizing. And I want you to visualize yourself as a believer carrying this assignment. You're an ambassador for Christ. We have people here who've um, lived in those kinds of roles. I think of uh, people like um, uh, Deaconess uh, Cassandra here, whose husband has been an ambassador for Zambia and they've lived in many, many countries. She will tell you if you talk to her and anybody else that you can talk to and there are others here that I can point at. They'll tell you that when you carry that role of an ambassador, even just for the spouse of an ambassador, they go through diplomatic um, um, international relations lessons to know how to act in another country. In those moments, they visualize. They see themselves in that country. They see themselves acting on behalf of the nation. And I want you to visualize yourself 
as an ambassador for Christ. Somebody shout hallelujah. An ambassador for Christ. He says, as though, so there's a mental picture must be, must be made. As though God were making his appeal through us. Wow. So visualize that. His appeal through me. That's awesome. I do this daily. I do this weekly as I think about standing here and preaching his word. I understand it is God speaking. That is humbling. It's an awesome task. But we have to keep that in mind. That when you leave this place, yes, you are Mrs. Somebody. Yes, you are someone's son. Yes, you are someone's uh, uh, husband. And so that's, that's on the norm of humanity. But you are an ambassador of Christ. So when you think about it, that should transform the way you act as a husband. It should transform the way you act as a wife. It should transform the way you act as a son. It should transform the way you do your job. As an accountant, as a doctor, as a lawyer, as a teacher. All that should change because you're not just a teacher. You are this ambassador for Christ in that classroom. Or somebody shout hallelujah. Before I close, I, this week I, I, I listened to uh, an interview. And even yesterday it was replayed on BBC. Um... I want you to watch this with me. The story of Wade Van Nieck. And if you can run it so that it just does maybe the last three minutes or so, uh, that would be great. Wade Van Nieckek was the 2016 Olympics um, world record holder. He broke the record in uh, the men's 400 meters sprint recording 43.03 seconds. Let's run. Just watch with me. There's something about this gentleman. And, and I, I was even more elated when I found out he's a believer. This gentleman was running in lane eight. And those who know, when you're doing a race like 400 meters, sprint, lane eight is not the best place to be in. But it was in lane number eight. And as that little gun was popped, Wade Van Nekek started. By analysis now, they are saying he started strong. And he ran that. Lane number eight. The world record at that time was being held by Michael Johnson. And it was 43.18. So watch lane eight. When he came to the 200 meter mark, I'll describe for you, right there, 
The commentator in the box began to wonder what was happening. I'll read for you part of what the commentator said. Watch him. At that point, he took off. And broke the world record at Rio in 2016. And since he's African, yeah! Because he's from South Africa. And since he's a believer, yeah, 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 yeah. Even more. But here's what caught my attention. This gentleman, at the time he won, people began to analyze as to what was happening. It was found out that his trainer at that time was a 74-year-old lady. She had been an Olympic um, gold medal winner for a while. She was his trainer. I haven't checked the latest to see whether she's still doing that or not. But at that time, she was. Amazing. The commentators, one of the commentators in the box said, the South, when he was getting up to the 200 meter mark, says, the South African now beginning to tire. Or is he? He's pulling away. It is unbelievable. It is an unbelievable victory by a huge margin. A century of history. This is a commentator in the box. And 43.03. I can't believe it. He has obliterated Michael Johnson's world record, which was 43.18. He was destined to be one of the great races and one of the great days. We haven't even seen Usain Bolt uh, yet. That's what they were saying at that time. And this has ignited the stadium. Where did that performance come from? They asked. The world champion is the Olympic champion and the world record holder. It's a performance to set the hairs of the back and on the back of your neck tingling. We've never seen anything like it in an Olympic final. Incredible. This is what one of the commentators said. Now, I got into the detail and found out. Because he was being interviewed on BBC. And I listened to the interview. And yesterday it was replayed. Here's what was going on in the mind of Wade Van Nagek. He said, they were asking him, so what was going on in your mind as you were turning the corner? He says there was a point at which he thought, ah, well, you know, maybe. And then he says, inside him, he just felt, no, but God is able to help me. And he says he began to visualize himself actually right at the end and winning. And he says, just, and he says, he was feeling strong. He says, if I'm feeling strong, then it means I can, I can pull away. I can pull away. And for sure, at the 200 meter mark, as you hear them analyze, very few people in a 400 meter dash and sprint can do that when in the eighth lane. But he pulled away. And of course, broke world record, beating the world record holder than uh, Michael Johnson then. And I thought to myself, what will it do for a believer? You may be down now and a bit discouraged, but there must be a realization of saying, God already knows who I am. 
David sang this morning, I know who I am. I walk in power. I walk, let's put it that way, in miracles. You must understand, I know you've been trodden down. I know you've been pulled down. I know you've been hit hard. I know you've been discouraged. But now you're going around the bend on that 200 meter mark and you can see the finish line. My friend, I'm asking you to visualize yourself going before the Lord, standing in the presence of the Lord, saying to the Lord, it was hard. But I made it. I want you to visualize the Lord Jesus welcoming you, saying, Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Visualize yourself, not down there, but even when you're down, visualize yourself getting up and beginning to walk again. For faith is a substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not yet seen. Visualize Jesus on the cross again. Standing there. Hanging there rather for you. Saying, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. Forgiveness is very central to the gospel message. Very central. The gospel message. It reveals the merciful heart of God to the sinful mankind that we are. When you think of Psalms 102, Psalm 143, the penitence of David shows how he understood God. And here we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. That is in our hands. That's what we are carrying. Carrying. Yesterday, some people came home. There was just a, a celebration of, of an individual that had been very kind to the family. So, family got together. This individual came home and they had something special for her. So as they were leaving, one of her, our nieces was carrying the cake. And Pastor Gladys said to her, don't sleep over as she was carrying the cake. It was dark because power had gone. So she was saying to her, don't sleep over because she was thinking about the steps. The ministry of reconciliation is that precious. It's like carrying that precious cake. Yet you must make the run. Yet you must run. You must run while you hold it. But visualize yourself finishing the rest. Visualize yourself the ambassador of Christ carrying ministry of reconciliation. Visualize yourself seeing people fighting and you going there and bringing peace. Visualize yourself going to people who are hurting and giving them the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. Visualize yourself. This is the power of visualization. It's not just something mental. It will help you to understand how real God is and how powerful you are having him in your life. Psalm 103, verse 3 to 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, we've looked at this before, O Lord, who would stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Psalm 103, verse 10 to 12. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed 
our transgressions. Isaiah 43 verse 25. I, even I, he who am um, he who blots your transgressions, blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 57, 55 verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way. And then righteous man, his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord for he will have mercy on him. To our God, he will abundantly pardon. Mark 7. Micah 7, verse 18 to 19. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. Passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us. And will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Such is the position of God's people. Why all this? We are forgiven to forgive one another. To let the world know that God can forgive them too. We are Christ ambassadors assigned with the ministry of reconciliation. I think of Matthew 6 verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Mark eleven twenty-five, And wherever, whenever you stand praying. If you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. This is the power of God's voice. The power of transformation. The power of visualization. Helping us to actualize God's act of forgiveness. May God bless you, beloved. In Jesus' name. I'll ask the choir to come. I can't help but think about the great hymn of the church. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life uh, for, uh, for our redemption, our redemption to win, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Then the songwriter, Susfan J. Crosby, 1822, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. All come to the Father through Jesus the Son. And give him the glory, great things he has done. So Mr. Emmanuel, prove to us that you truly are a father of one and now soon to be two. See if we can play this song. Sorry, we make announcements here in front. Are we not related? We are related. This is father and son. Grandfather is happy. There's another one coming. Praise God. See if we can do this one. Elvi, can we do this one? Yes.
Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're in the presence of Jesus.